welcome again to the Dad Pod Games Cast, a show where two and sometimes three dads get together and talk about games, stuff adjacent to games, dad stuff, and or just trying to do that hobby while getting older and having less time. I'm one of your hosts today, Joe Owens, and as always, to my right, your virtual left, Eddie Rathke. Howdy. Edward, how how was your new year? Happy new year to the listeners. Oh yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty good. We, uh, what did we do? Oh, Kyle Muntz was here. Oh, so very nice. I had no clue he was going to be, uh, in a, you know, in the country, let alone, uh, yeah, he, uh, friend of the show, guest, back from, guest of the show. Yeah. On the, uh, the beat em ups episode. That's right. He was just back for about two weeks and he spent most of that time at home and he, he came here to Minnesota for a few days, nice. which he's kind of done habitually, uh, for a long time. Nice. Very cool. Um, but uh, we should have called this the Dad Pod Books Cast. Ooh, a little <laughs> bit of foreshadowing into what we're going to do today, as promised. Uh, we talked about, uh, you know, we talk about books a lot, uh, you know, being writerly sorts and whatnot. Um, I This is a, a book that is sort of, uh, uh, it, it is singular uh, in a way that like really no other book is. You, you hear that term a lot, probably, about things that are not like anything else. Or you hear about, this book could never be adapted to film, uh, you know, despite the subject of this book, uh, you know, being a, f- a film. Uh, you know, you yeah. hear about this stuff, but I, I really, I don't know that you, this to me by necessity, which, you know, we're going to talk about, I, I don't think we'll be able to do uh, any sort of like guesstimate about how long this will take because the way that the book is structured uh, does not really lend us to saying we're going to do 25 here and 75 there. It's just going to kind of be these breaks where we feel like, okay, this is where we're going to get to, to talk about if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it it's bonkers mainly due to the plethora of footnotes. Like, Chapter five is um, the longest that we've read so far on this read, and it's like thirty pages. Right. But if you add the footnote, the footnotes, and especially one of the footnotes, it adds like seventy pages yeah. to that chapter. It's, incre- it's incredibly, <laughs> it's incredibly weirdly structured. And so we would just like to, you know, welcome the listener to the wonderfully uh, fantastic, phantasmagorical uh, House of Leaves, published in the year two thousand by Mark Danieluski. I think I said, I hope I didn't butcher his name. I think that's, I've, I've met him and I think that's how he said cool, it. Cool. Cool. I have not met him, but, uh, that's, that's my best, my best shot. So yeah. Talking to him actually convinced me to buy the 50 year sword, which I was not interested in. Um, but, uh, he, uh, he convinced yeah. me and I like it. It's good. And, and, you know, depending on how this goes, uh, we're kind of doing this episode as, um, I don't know, a test run for a potential sister podcast, I think was mentioned in the show notes at least once or t- twice, maybe, um, where yeah. we're going to tackle the entirety of the Malazan Book of the Fallen um, because not enough people are talking about it. And, and for my money, uh, this is just my two cents. Uh, <laughs> and this this is not a shock to Edward or anyone who knows me. Uh, it, it's the best piece of fantasy uh, fiction ever written. Uh, I know that it's... Not your number one, but it is probably top five. Oh, definitely. Uh, I yeah, might maybe even top two. Yeah, because the other one's Robin Hobb, right? Right. The Farseers is that a, the trilogy or is it or is it? Well, it's. I mean, that's the Farseers trilogy for the first, but there's more. There's so much more. Yeah, I would say it's the whole the whole series. The trilo- the first trilogy by itself is nowhere near 
the top probably yeah, but, uh, but but it's important the whole to series get, get into the to get into it i would say start at the beginning yeah you got to start at the beginning i mean i guess you don't have to but you should yeah i mean it's not <laughs> um, it's not we're not well i guess we're it's not like disc world where you know you theoretically can right. sort of jump in in various places yeah um and uh yeah robin hobb and steven erickson's fantasy worlds are on opposite ends of the spectrum of epic right uh, Absolutely. robin hobbs is dialed in basically to a single perspective steven erickson has like a thousand characters right. and hundreds of perspectives oh, man, i can't wait to talk like i cannot that. wait to talk about it like yeah. i had as much as i love house of leaves uh, a book that for me personally is just like what for like what i am looking for in literature uh like a 10 out of 10 book like that should tell you how excited i am about malazan that i was willing to potentially skip doing the house of leaves episode to just jump right in uh <laughs> because like we still could <laughs> yeah we could we still could we could uh we could mix it up who knows how this one yeah will work it's out. it's really you know when you're when you're just starting off and you just like absolutely don't give a shit like we don't uh you know we're just gonna do what we want to do uh you know there's no there's no sponsors right in our paychecks so uh i wish i mean yeah i mean i'll take that like you know don't get me wrong sponsors if you want to throw some money our way uh hit us up uh but no we're gonna talk about house of leaves uh you know, and uh, I'm going to stand by it until someone gives me a, a real good elevator pitch that it's not filmable. You could not put this into a TV series. Um, and I think the best way to like illustrate this is maybe with the first show notes, we can just take random snippets from parts of the book, just like screen cap, you know, some pictures of the way sure. that it just struck. Oh, yeah. You know, you, you, you've heard the metaphorical term structurally all over the place. Uh, House of Leaves is literally... Uh, structurally all over the place uh, it's not just thematic uh it, it, it's it's incredible uh th- this is not a book for everyone i don't think though uh but for someone who is extremely uh adhd uh like me uh reading <laughs> it and you know flipping around to footnotes i'm like this this book is interrupting itself all the time just like i do in real life like this is this is incredible uh you feel a kindred spirit even if it's uh, uh probably better than any of the thoughts uh, i'm having at any given time yeah, I would say um, if you haven't read it and it sounds kind of interesting, um, just pick it up. Yeah. But uh, it's basically a mix of a maybe Stephen King. I've never read Stephen King. I don't know. But I'm just going to say a Stephen King kind of haunted house novel okay. yeah. mixed with David Foster Wallace Yeah. mixed with uh, Borges. Oh, yeah. And it's super interesting and i think we'll talk about it in this episode uh the the influence the the clear influence of like borges's uh labyrinths um yeah as like a central idea to this i mean the book if you had to like try to sum it up the, the best way i can describe it is it's a story that sort of like revolves around like found footage of a documentary mm-hmm. that allegedly doesn't even really exist so right away you're being told by the author hey uh, this whole tome of a novel you're about to read is about a thing that may not exist in its own reality. Like you might be, it's like, it's like almost like a warning that, Hey, this might be a waste of a time of a waste of a time. Um, it's, it's like, <laughs> yeah. So maybe, maybe we should clarify things real quick. So house of leaves, uh, is told through three different perspectives, narratorial um, perspectives. Yeah. There's Johnny Truant, who you meet in the introduction, and also in the footnotes. Yes. He's, his narrative often comes through the footnotes. Um, he's kind of a, a loser. He's had a rough life. Yeah. 
Uh, he works at a tattoo shop yeah. as basically an assistant, um, where he is not very good at his job. It's for the most part. What's so, wild about Johnny that I just want to get out of the way because we're going to return to this is he's got a very interesting like mind. Uh, like yeah. the dude like is like super almost like poetic at times in his writing, but he's also like rough and tumble, like you know, street smart. But not always, you know, like finding yeah. finding himself in all kinds of precarious situations with unsavory individuals. But like he's also like clearly educated. And so like that sometimes comes through and sometimes doesn't. But he doesn't seem to be like at odds with it. It's just like how he talks. It's just how he thinks. Yeah, I think he's he's a lot of us have known people like Johnny where they're they've got a certain kind of charisma. They are always making the wrong decisions they're really smart, but they weren't actually educated. They've just, you know, someone who probably learned by reading books and things like that. Right. And just living um, probably. And yeah. And so he's had a very strange life, but so he's, he finds this collection of notes in an apartment of a dead man named Zampano. Yeah. Uh, and the collection of notes is the book house of leaves. Yes. So, if you turn to the first page of House of Leaves, it says by Zampano mm-hmm. um, with introduction and notes by Johnny Truant. So it's like he he's assembled this book out of all these disparate notes from Zampano, and then he's added his own footnotes to it. And then on top of that, there are um, there's someone called the editors, and yep. they have edited the book further, presumably, and also edited Johnny's footnotes and have had some amount of communication with Johnny. Right. They've also uh, found uh, additional information and texts and uh, paraphernalia right. that um, helps highlight what they're talking about. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's like uh, the Navidson Report is the main narrative, is what the narrative is based yeah, the found on. Yeah, footage documentary. Found, yep. And does it exist? Doesn't ex- exist? It's hard to say. Um, it seems to exist to Zampano, mm-hmm. and he is talking about presumably real people who you yeah, can the people check. the people were real in the universe like Navidson was a award-winning photographer uh his uh wife uh why can't it why am i blanking is karen is that his wife yeah uh, she was like a model um and so like it was you know i think his brother was also real who appears in the in the thing are you able to discover if they were real within the context of the the book's universe? Um, I guess we don't... Well, within the context of the book's universe, they're real. Yes. Um, I believe yes, so. Yes, that's what I meant. I didn't uh, mean they were real, like Jack oh, yeah. Kerouac real. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I just meant like... like, like the Okay, so the book says the documentary might not exist. Uh, but like... Or that's that's Johnny Truant's yes. uh, footnote that says yes. that. And, but like Navid, like David, no, not David, Navidson. Tom, or Tom sorry, is his brother. Will Navidson. Well, yes. Well, yeah. yeah. Will. Uh, it's really weird when it's like one time, you know, they'll be talking about, you know, these guys, both name last name Navidson and one is Navidson and one is Tom. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, like in the context of the book, like, like uh, Johnny Truant could go to Google and find Will Navidson on there, but, you know, prize winning Navidson and his wife, like they would be, they would exist on truants google from the way that i read it at least yeah but uh interestingly with in zampano's book on the navidson report there are footnotes that zampano made that reference books that johnny says don't exist yeah, it's wild like 
you're you're meant to be questioning the I think the reality of like every letter almost like the entire time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And on, t- on top of that, uh, Johnny Truant in his footnotes, which are sort of like a um, they're their own narrative that aren't necessarily always directly related to the rest of the book. Right. Um, and sometimes he seems to be having mental breakdowns himself. Yes. So, <laughs> which is not, uh, where he, I mean, that's a thing. That's a recurring theme in the book with a number of characters. Yeah. And like he, uh, he's questioning his own reality that he's existing with outside of the, the book that he's, uh, commenting on yes. and you know, everything else. So it's like, it's a, it's a very, uh, it's meant to be slightly confusing yeah. and jarring. Yeah. Uh, we should also talk about like how the book is found. Uh, Johnny Truant's friend Lude. I guess we never find out his real name. Just Lude, like Quaalude. That's why I, was, I always read yeah. it as L U D E, not L E W D. Um, Lude's like, hey, uh, there's this old dude that died, and we got to go like clean out his his place uh, or, or something like that. I'm trying to remember the exact details. I read I read this part uh, the first hundred and six pages, like three months ago so i'm a little bit uh a little bit fuzzy on the on that exact details but he goes to basically do like cleanup duty yeah um yeah basically i believe they actually just like go in there yeah and they and they're the ones who discover the dead body yeah oh yeah yeah oh oh, gosh now i can't remember why they went in there but the also i can't even they also find so there's like a lot of like things that are unseen but unsettling throughout the whole thing um and there is these like deep grooves that look like claw marks when they find the dead body. Um, yeah. And so that's like this ominous foreshadowing that, you know, the book sort of returns to uh, multiple times. Um, and I, and I, I'll come back to this, I think when we talk more about labyrinths uh, here in a little bit, but uh, this is sort of how like the book just launches you in, like you are just like, like, all right, uh, you're, you're, you're in for something here. Uh, I mean, really, all you all yeah. you can do is buckle up and hang on. Yeah, I would describe it as an aggressive book. Yeah, um, and it tells you, you know, the uh, the uh, what do you call that? When you write a book, you address it to someone, kind oh, of. Oh, the um, uh, oh my god, holy! Why are, why is this happening to both of us? <laughs> what do you call that word? Dedication. Well, it's a word. <laughs> you know what I'm talking yeah. about? When it'll be like for yeah, my the, wife is or that, whatever. Is that not the dedication? Dedication. Yeah. Okay. yeah god. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Um, so. The dedication to House of Leaves simply says, this is not for you. Yeah. Um, and so that is sort of your first... Well, so there's a few uh, things when you open the book. So on the outside, it says House of Leaves, Mark Z. Danieluski. When you open it up, it says, uh, you know, House of Leaves by Zampano with introduction and notes by Johnny Truant. And then the next page, it says, uh, you know, this is not for you. Yes. So you already know from just like the first few pages before you've even technically gotten to any sort of narrative anything, right. that this is going to be an aggressive book that uh, is going to fight with you. Right. And if you're not willing to fight back with it, uh, you're probably not going to have a good time. Like, you know, if you've heard anything about House of Leaves, you may have heard that it's, at different points you need to hold it up to, like, a mirror. Right. Which, what, what you know, if... If I told most people that to read a book, they had to have a mirror handy, 
they'd be like, why? Right. They'd be like, oh, you're going to use the mirror. They'd be like, that sounds stupid. You know, some people I've, <laughs> I've even talked to, like, it, the book has footnotes. I have no interest in reading it. If I don't want to read a book right. of footnotes or endnotes or, like, anything. Like, some people just want a, like, story that is told from start to finish in a linear fashion. And that's, you know, that's totally fine. Uh, but this book is not that, 100%. Yeah, and some of the footnotes are longer than the chapter that they're a footnote for. Right. Um, and some footnotes look like an academic kind of text where it just says, you know, uh, issue of this magazine from this date, right. what are pages, whatever. Uh, and I love that which those I just kind of skip through. I love that some of those footnotes are real magazines. You can go back and look and some of yeah. some of the issues are real and then some of them aren't, um, which you yeah. know leads me to believe that it doesn't matter. Like, hey, pay attention that this is here, but don't get hung up on it. Like, keep going. Yeah, I think um, it might be interesting if someone did an analysis of all the footnotes. I don't want to do no, that. No, I, I absolutely but, don't uh, want to do that. But I do want someone like, to do that. Yeah, it's like I wouldn't be surprised if there's some kind of hidden something there, but uh, you know that's for someone who has a uh, a different kind of autism. Yeah, like <laughs> who just wants to really study the footnotes of this book. Well, I mean, I know enough from grad school that you can do uh, something called a contents analysis on it. It's kind of like the uh, the basic thing where you check out like words and phrases and uh, you know, sort of like uh, I mean, that's a basic content analysis and i think that you could do that with yeah. uh, sources and citations even if someone did one just to show the percentage of real versus fake citations that would be interesting to me yeah maybe someone's already so, done that we didn't do like that I, kind of research for this because uh, i don't think that's important yeah. for what we're we're going to try to do over the next few uh book episodes yeah my assumption is that it actually uh like you said doesn't matter at all but there might be like a fun easter egg yeah. in there i don't think it i mean i read this uh 17 years ago something like that 16 years ago and uh, i read it in 2010 it's that's when i read it okay yeah i did not feel i got i got a very complete experience is i guess what i'll say yes Uh, and i did not i did not google anything yeah Yeah, no i mean (laughs) i did i did google some of the translations yeah yeah like because we talked about you know there's some um old english uh, text, which there's not a real easy way to Google old English. Like we don't have the keys and the characters, uh, to Google it. Yeah. So Googling, like what were the old English translations in house of leaves? Like that was, that was, that was cool. We do We looked at that on Reddit. Yeah. And then there's, you know, there's Latin, there's Spanish, there's French. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's German in here too. There might, there, there yes, might be. There's and then there's a guy that's, yes. uh, you know, Gdansk man who probably speaks Danish. Uh, yeah. And, I had to guess. um, most of the non-English language within the Zampano text is given a translation. Not all of it, but I think almost all of right. it. Right. Um, there's a an appendix that has translation that has untranslated parts. Yeah. And usually just like a phrase here too. We'll we'll talk about that yeah, in a little because the, the appendix is not. Uh, it's not like the Gene Wolfe appendix. You, I mean, you remember that at the end of each. Uh, book yeah. of the new sun there's like a page and a half two pages of like appendix stuff it's not very long yeah uh the appendix is 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 a vital and crucial part of house of leaves like it's not there to like sort of like look at at your leisure although um you know one of the appendices that we talked about just over the weekend before we recorded this are the whale's toe letters uh that we'll talk about that is the section of the appendix that's like 75 pages long which is longer than the chapter it is referencing uh, or yeah. in reference to, and like those do add quite a bit of like interesting 
flavor and content, but like it's not necessarily yep. necessary. It's like no, I'm gonna say it. it's not necessary to understand House of Leaves. It's more interesting yeah. if you want to understand Johnny's history, but not necessarily the broader scope of what House of Leaves is doing. Yeah. I, I can't imagine not reading it, though. But the editors tell you specifically in that footnote that you don't have to read it. Yeah. Um, but so to give you an idea of what the post-narrative uh, part of the book is, um, just looking at the uh, table of contents, um, you know, the the Navidson report begins on page one. It ends on page 529. And the book ends on page 709. Yeah. So you have almost 200 pages of uh, appendices and other kind of supplementary material. So that's the kind of book it is. Right. <laughs> it's also a horror novel that's very scary. Yeah, it's got like genuinely unsettling parts. Like they're good. They're so well done. Uh, and yeah, I don't think we've gotten to... Um, we haven't gotten to the real... We've gotten to some unsettling stuff, but yeah. I feel like the we're at the cusp of where it starts to become much more yeah, horrific. that's why we stopped where we did um we have gotten to a point where we are skirting around the edges of the horror yeah so uh, so we read from the beginning of the book to chapter nine we stopped at chapter nine so this first episode will not go past chapter nine but it will include any appendices and things like that referenced in those first nine chapters right. um, um so so maybe a useful thing now um do you want to give or I can give it sort of like a brief summary of the Navidson report up until now. Uh, you go ahead and do it because I feel like yours is going to be fresher. Um, and I'll just, I'll okay. do the next, uh, the next summary because like I have a sure. lot of notes here and like a lot of the interesting uh, stuff that I have is also just sort of like stylistic things. But I, when I was making my notes, I didn't make a lot of like uh, notes that I would have for the episode um, in reference to the actual summary, which uh like I was kicking myself after I did that, but um, yeah, I, I think that uh, that if you just kind of give, if you want to give a brief summation, uh, it doesn't have to be brief. It can just be however long it ends up being, <laughs> like whatever whatever yeah. you think. <clears throat> yep. So uh, okay, so the book begins. Um, there's kind of all this falderall that Johnny brings you as the introduction, talking about Zampano and things like that. But I'm just gonna. I think the. I think a lot of. I think the footnotes are in some ways impossible to encapsulate in a summary that makes sense so i'm just going to focus on the navidson report itself right which is zampano's text yes um so uh it begins with will navidson who is a pulitzer prize winning um war photojournalist so he's photographed wars uh and his actually are they married i don't think they're married um you know, I Karen Green is his. I, I think she might have. I thought she just kept her name, but now I could be wrong. Uh, I thought she, they were married, but she just kept her name. Yeah, so I, 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 I just, don't know that it yeah, matters. She she has she's refused to marry him thus far. Okay, um, but they have gone through a a period of marital crisis. They have two kids together, two young kids, um, and they have not been getting along. And they've gone to like couples therapy and so on. And they decide to buy this house and really kind of like make a go of fixing their relationship. They're both committed to doing that. Right. Um, Navidson, you know, his stress on the relationship has always been he's a war journalist. So he sometimes is gone for months at a time and putting his life in literal danger in literal war zones. Right. Um, Karen 
the way that she has uh, negatively impacted the marriage is that she it's implied without being uh, ever being like exact what happened, but it's infidelity. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Um, Through uh, seemingly with, as response to past trauma, if I remember. Yeah. And I think also, you know, uh, this is it's kind of like a trope of um, military wives and things yeah. like that. It's like, you know, if your husband is gone for 11 months, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes things happen while they're gone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it, so, it is um, one that we've uh, we've seen quite a bit uh, in literature, yeah, and elsewhere. Yeah, and just and just real life. If you know someone who uh, has gone to war and they got a divorce, uh, that might be one. Yeah. Very um, possible. Maybe not. Maybe not. But very. But I'm going to say all your friends cheated on their husbands. <laughs> <laughs> Every last one of them. All of them. No. Uh, so that's the beginning of the book. They buy this uh, big Victorian kind of house um, that is. Uh, where they live with their kids and it's just a big nice house um but for some reason uh something strange happens there's like a passageway that appears while they are gone Mm -hmm. um it's just this like this little room between rooms yeah like a a very small hallway essentially and they're trying to figure out you know uh, like they were gone for feel like a week or something yeah, like a week not, or two. it wasn't long. super long but it was like long enough that it wasn't like overnight it was like yeah a, sh- a short time a short like maybe like a vacation type length yeah yeah and so uh long enough though that or brief enough that someone would have had to really have their act together yeah, if, to get this done which would be super hilarious um, if someone broke into a house and just installed a closet like yeah, which is which is sort of what they think happened yeah. because how else do you explain? Yeah, because it's thing? like that is such an inexplicable thing. Yeah. And, well, and, the, and uh, well, the one thing that we also should mention is uh, Navidson being a photographer. Uh, he's got the house wired up right. with um, a set uh, a system of high eight video cameras. Um, one of the things right. that I actually looked up because uh, number one, since we're in the year two thousand and we're thinking of found footage, we're kind of thinking Blair Witch Project, which was like a lot of shaky cam, uh, crappy picture. Uh, very blurry, indistinct things. But I, when I googled uh, high eight, because I don't know a lot about older like tape recording, um, high eight actually provides yeah. uh, like four four hundred horizontal lines of picture, which is higher than like uh, VHS's uh, best, which was two forty. You know, that's where two forty p came from. So high eight is you know like forty percent clearer than VHS. So like what I was ultimately like, it, I think it was pretty much uh, there was a another format before DVD called super VHS, which was basically like almost DVD quality. Um, and so high eight hmm. has more in common with, uh, with that than it has with, uh, like regular VHS. So like all this is to say that anytime we reference the footage in the house, uh, which is always going, always recording. Um, yeah. like we're not talking blurry, grainy images. We're talking like for the time, state of the art, crisp, very clear images. Which is good, because I actually didn't realize that. Oh, so, but that brings me to something. So the reason he set up all these cameras is because he's basically making a documentary of them uh, fixing their marriage. Not exactly with her consent, but also not with that. I mean, she's, she's aware yeah. of those cameras everywhere. She, she gives the impression um, she's not a fan of it, but she's not telling him not to do it. Yeah, she's just, you know, this... I think the way I take it is, like, she'd rather him do this project at home than be in, like, Afghanistan. Right. Yeah, <laughs> literally getting like shot. I mean, at. Afghanistan not at the time. It would have been like uh, you know Somalia or Serbia. Yeah, or well, I mean two thousand. Uh, that's right. When you know Bush sent everybody into 
Iraq. Uh, well, this is pre nine eleven, and uh, yeah. the Navidson report is from the nineties. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. I don't even know why uh, I actually was able to date the Navidson report, which I'll talk about later because that's not super important for your summary. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The I think the important thing about the date is that like uh, there's no cell phones and stuff. Right. Yeah. No cell Pretty phones. Much it. And pre DVD. Yep. But yeah, it's it's the nineties. Oh yeah, here it is. Um, it's uh, Oliver North uh, getting uh, his conviction annulled on the news, and his conviction was annulled July twentieth, nineteen ninety, and that is something that's happening in the news, in the Navitson report. Yeah. So I guess nineteen ninety. Yep. There we um, go. So he he's doing it, and uh, so interestingly, with all that footage, uh, it goes blank when they leave the house because it's motion uh, sensor. That's like what turns it on. Right. I guess so. It's not so recording somebody- if there's no movement. Right. Um, and so for some reason, in their eyes, someone was able to get inside uh, without turning on the, uh, or maybe they turned off the motion sensor stuff beforehand, uh, did this reconstruction in their house, and then left without yep. leaving a trace. Which is um, just wild to think about. Yeah. And so, you know, their kids are loving the new little passageway and going going nuts. And this leads um, Navitson to... Uh, begin measuring the house yeah i can't remember there's a specific i feel like reason like his uh, the impetus for him to start measuring but that's like not super important because the fact is once he starts measuring he cannot stop measuring for a very particular reason yeah this thing is sort of the inciting incident but there is something more specific which i i also can't remember right now but uh in any case he starts measuring the house and uh he so he measures the house and he looks at like the blueprints yeah and things aren't adding up. And then he measures the outside of the house and compares it to the inside of the house and discovers that the inside of the house is three quarters of an inch yeah. longer than the outside of the house, uh-huh. yeah. which uh, is, you know, impossible. Right. And so because of this impossibility, it leads him to uh, sort of obsessively measure the house, um, which causes him to reach out to his um, brother... Uh, his twin yeah. brother Tom, who he hasn't spoken to in years for various unknown reasons, uh, and he asks him basically to come help him measure the house. Right, because he's a builder, uh, right? He he builds houses. Yeah, uh, he's like in const- he's a handyman. Yeah. He's a handyman, so he has you know the tools. Because so Navidson is kind of assuming that the problem must be my tools. Like I don't have, I, I'm doing things to the best of my ability, but I'm not doing it right. Yeah, I'm very clearly doing know, something wrong in the measuring. Yeah. So he calls his handyman brother to bring him in. Um, and so at the beginning of the book, you kind of see sort of a family coming together, including bringing in Tom. So now uh, it's like a, it feels like a house of healing. You know, they're trying to heal their marriage. His estranged brother is now there and they're all getting along. And they have this project to do together, which sort of eases any amount of tension they may have. Right. Well, uh, which is there for sure. It. It's super there. Right. Yep. Um, so they're measuring the house and Tom is finding more or less the same problem. Yeah. Um, which, so they're still obsessively measuring the house right. and then they call in an expert, um, who is an engineering professor. His name's Billy Reston mm-hmm. at the university of Virginia, who is also um, in a wheelchair. So he c- yep. Which is, it's only <laughs> notable leads- because the house is not like handicap, uh, safe. Isn't the word I'm looking for accessible. You know, it's not, it's not, yep. meant, it's, it was not built with that in mind. And so he's got like a challenge. Yeah. It also leads to a, a funny joke, but, uh, uh, I think without context, it's not. Yeah, you have to you have to wait. You have to read it yourself <laughs> for the joke. Yep, but uh, 
So they even go as far as to like drill through the walls and everything to use this sort of like laser measuring thing to determine what's going on. And they keep with Billy Rustin's uh, fancy, you know, engineering equipment and stuff like that. They find out that the house is the measurement is incorrect. Yeah. Oh, I see what it was. It was they had kept getting a quarter of an inch. But when Reston uses his laser technology, it's five sixteenths of an inch. Okay, so there it is. Yeah, so it's a, so they are their measurement is wrong, but it's actually in the opposite direction that they th- that they right. think. Uh, so it it's yeah over half an inch it's, bigger it's, on the inside than on the outside, yeah. which yeah, which is not you know it's a fungible number, but at the same time uh, impossible, right? You know, um, and. So now all these people are here. Things are just getting weirder. Yeah, and yeah. then uh, a hallway appears in the living room. Yeah. And at first the hallway is about uh, 10 feet deep. Yes. But it can't be. And uh, according to just like when you're looking at it, when you look in at the hallway, uh, it is deeper than when you like pull your head out of the door and like look at the house. Like, it extends further. Oh, yeah. It extends further than the house does somehow. Yeah. Well, at first, when it's just ten feet deep, um, I think it just like kind of extends through the kitchen, or it should in theory, but it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, and they find out that it's only that deep because one of the kids runs in there, um, and Navinson has to, you know, he like rushes in to get them out. Right. And when he rushes in, what they find out is that it is super cold. Right. Like. Like it's, un- it's unimaginably strangely, cold. Yeah. Not yeah, like not like below zero, cold. but like. I think it's like freezing-ish, so it's probably you know it's like it's like a uh, like a have you ever, have you ever been in like a walk-in fridge in yeah. like a restaurant? Yep. Yeah, it's it's like that. If you've never worked in a restaurant, um, I don't know. You're never gonna experience this, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <Never>. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I guess you could maybe but, at the cooler uh, aisle uh, at the at, at, you know where if you're trying to get some beers or something, they got usually a lot of, oh, a lot sure, of those yeah. are walk-in. They're, yeah, they're yeah. roughly the same temperature. Yeah. So yeah. So that that's the impression I got anyway. Yeah. It's not like below zero, but it's it's cold. Um, it's freezing cold. Yeah. Uh, so he runs in there, gets his kid, brings him back out, and then the next thing that happens is uh, everyone's kind of freaked out by this hallway that just appeared. Karen especially doesn't like it, and then um, and she doesn't like that Navidson went inside there, yeah. and especially that her kid was in there. Mm-hmm. So Tom builds a door to make sure that especially the dog doesn't go in right, there, right? Because they don't want anybody accidentally going in anymore. Yeah, because it's you know it's an impossibility. Um, for one thing, it, it showed up without any rhyme or reason, yeah. and it doesn't follow the laws of physics. Yeah, it's it's um, it's not uh, it's it's not making anybody happy. <laughs> yeah, but uh, when. They looked at, I think, actually before he finishes building the door. So Tom build, frames in a door to close it off. Before that happens, they look back at the hallway, and it now extends at least, like, 100 feet, mm-hmm. which now is, like, it would be in their backyard. Yeah, it would be outside. Like, yeah, I mean... Which it, which it also isn't. Yes. Because they can go outside and look at their house, and they go, hey, there's no hallway right. here. Um, but then when Tom closes the door, the echo is very brief. And when he looks back through, uh, you know, the, I guess the window of the yeah. door, he sees that it's now like 10 feet deep again. Yeah. Um, so the house is now changing dramatically on. Right. Um, they pull in an explorer because Karen makes Navidson promise 
that he won't go into the hallway. Yeah, and a lot of this, what part of her trauma is related to her, she's got a very strong sense of claustrophobia. Uh, she, like, yeah. She's, you know, seen, like, a therapist and stuff for this. It's very, very bad. Uh, like, when their kid, like, runs in there, even her motherly instinct to protect her child could not override her fear of her, like, her claustrophobia of running in after them. Um, right. And so she's, like, you know, the thought of, you know, Navitson going back in or anybody else going back in is too much for her. So he's got a, he's basically got a promise. Yeah, and she gives him an ultimatum, essentially, which is, if you go in there, uh, I'm taking the kids and leaving. Yep. Um, and she means it. He knows she means it. But they get into a fight one night, and he gets kind of drunk. And at 3 a.m., he goes in anyway. She's asleep. Yeah, she's asleep, and he goes in. Yep. And what he finds is that at the end of that... So the hallway is now, like, 100 feet deep again. And at the end of that 100 feet, there's a turn. So he takes the turn yep. and goes, you know, another distance... And then there's another turn. He takes that turn. And he's hallways kind of open up on the sides and stuff like that. But eventually he comes to this big room. Yeah. Um, and he decides to... His, his He just has a regular flashlight at this point, too. Yeah. And he brings his camera. But his flashlight is too weak to really penetrate the darkness. Yeah, it's real dark because so the, the space is larger than he could have imagined it being. Yeah. So he... Uh, and he, for a brief moment, gets lost within the... Uh, the tunnel, the maze, the labyrinth as well. Right. Um, but eventually he finds his way back out. And as he's coming back out, his daughter screams because, a, you know, she had a nightmare or something. Yeah. And that wakes everyone up. And uh, no one knows that Navitson went in there except for Navitson. And I believe he tells Tom later. Yeah. Um, but in any case... There is a, fo- oh, there's a footnote I was going to say um, on page 73, right after this happens, where Daisy's asking uh, Navitson if he wants to play... Um, always and he doesn't really know what that is oh yeah and then there's like a footnote that says it's it's left up to the reader whether she means always or hallways yeah and that is um so chapter five is a long exploration first of the concept of an echo uh and an echo is important in that chapter super it's important yeah and throughout the whole book but especially in that chapter because uh Navitson also that's also the chapter where Navitson gets lost in the labyrinth and his echo is what actually leads him back out Um, so there's also another footnote on page 64 that talks about how, uh, parallel services and echoes, which I thought was really interesting. Um, I was trying to make a connection here. You'll see why shortly, but it says parallel surfaces will create a flutter echo, though frequently a, at a splay of as little as 16 millimeters, which was five eighths of an inch. And that can prevent repetitions. And so I was trying to draw a common denominator between the house being, uh, five sixteenths, uh, you know, originally too big and now uh five eighths uh, uh being able to pre- five eighths of an inch being able to prevent uh an echo and so i'm not sure where i was going with that because uh you know the numbers don't line up but it doesn't really matter because uh the ro- you know the house gets you know <laughs> is getting bigger like that five eighths of an inch yeah. is no longer important yeah because you know now uh I forget how how deep Navitson believes that he probably walked, but you know it. He's he's walked a, a considerable way into this hallway that goes nowhere. Yeah, that he should have been you out know, in the it, yard. Uh, you know, maybe to the, like a neighbor's area. Like it, like he's far. Like yeah. he's, he's deep <laughs> deep in the hallway. Yeah, presumably. I mean, he would have been like in a neighbor's house on their couch right. at this point. Yeah. Um, but instead, he's he's literally nowhere. Right. Um, so uh, because. 
So this drives new friction in their relationship because Navidson, by nature, is sort of an explorer type. He goes to war-torn territories and takes pictures. Right. Uh, he is, you know, known for his bravery and things like that. So there's some amount of discussion of sort of like the emasculation that happens here to him. Yeah. Is this uh, and, this uh, is Zampano Zampano wondering about the emasculation? Right? Yeah. It's uh, yes. his hypotheses, his his uh, his text that were that were uh, going over at this point. Yep, and he uses a bunch of uh, a bunch of books and essays that have been written about this to sort of bolster his case. Right. Um, and we, you know, presume some amount of those don't exist. Possibly none yeah, of them exist, possible, even in the world of the. Yeah, because I didn't even. I very clearly did not check uh, most of the yeah. sources. Like some <laughs> of them, I'm like, oh yeah, that that I, you know, the Oliver North thing. I remembered. Uh, like I know that happened. Yeah. Like so. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, yeah, a footnote that's about the Navidson uh, expedition itself, like that, this 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 didn't happen in real life, so there's no reason that someone would have written an entire book about right. it. So uh, it stands to reason that those books don't exist. Yeah. Um, but it's also unclear if um, Truant knows which of those are real and which of those are mm-hmm. not real. Yeah. Um, maybe none of them. Um, but so uh, they, they call in this professional hunter and explorer, Holloway Roberts. Yep who uh, comes with his team, um, there's a certain a level of sort of a jockish rivalry, yeah. I guess you could say. Yeah, but well, it's especially like Holloway is used to being the alpha. And I think uh, yeah. Davidson is also, you know, in his line of work, used to being the alpha. Uh, and so you see that, uh, you know, this uh, the slice yeah. of uh, of overboard uh borderline toxic masculinity uh bumping up against each other uh for almost from the bat <laughs> yeah. right off the bat but you know navidson needs help because he's not allowed to go in yep and he brings uh his fellas which are um kirby wax hook he goes by wax, wax. and then jed leader jed leader is sort of known for his inability to get lost yeah he's got like so a, he's an got incredible a, sense of direction yeah and so these are. This is his team. This is his crew that he brings in. Uh, why has Navidson not reported this to like the police or any other kind of official? Who knows? Well, I mean, but, as, uh, as soon is... as I ended up with a with a new room in my house that was clearly put there by <laughs> spirits or aliens, uh, it, it doesn't matter. Like I'm out. Like so that's where my book, my version of this ends because I'm moving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Um... Uh, they do actually call the police at that point, and the police are kind of bemused, and they're oh, like, yeah, yeah. "I don't know, someone someone pulled a uh, a weird prank on you that they, they you know they did an expensive uh, carpentry job yeah, because, in your house, for yeah." You. And but like, I mean, what what can you do? There's obviously no fingerprints. There's no nothing. Uh, yeah, and so at this point, they are looking. Karen especially is looking for a, a new house because she does not uh, feel comfortable with what's going on. Navidson has become sort of obsessed with this tunnel yeah um which i think is further driving a wedge between their relationship because he's obsessed with it can't go in it and she's the one keeping him from going in but also she's terrified and uh just wants to be gone right um and so uh holloway roberts comes uh holloway flirts with karen at various points and this especially puts uh navidson on edge yes but um and so he goes in for his first exploration and they go pretty far. Yeah, I mean, um, I think a couple hours. I think they're in there for like an. I think the first one, four hours, yeah. something like yeah. that. Um, so they are just walking for like literal hours in this uh, 
Uh, and they've got a line too, like which, a lifeline, right? Like so they could like follow it back if need be, like a yep, spool of. It's very, uh, very Theseus yes. uh, inspired. Yeah, which we'll um, talk about very soon. Some, yeah, something I forgot to mention: when Navidson's in the maze, part of why he gets lost is because the maze shifts. Yes, and there's like a groaning so, sound uh, or a growling sound. Uh, yes, that could be the maze he shifting, a, or it could be a minotaur-like creature <laughs> in the shifting yeah. labyrinth inside of his house. It, yeah, so he is a. Uh, that's one of the things that I I forgot to mention when he's in the maze. He hears a growl, and that is what sends him leaving. Yeah, he's like, he's nope, like, yeah. I'm out. Yeah, and then but he gets lost going back, even when he finds what he believes is the right hallway, because the hallway is now different, mm-hmm. um, and it changes while he's walking through it. Um, so this is why uh, hallway brings the cord because it's like you know we, we don't want to just get lost because a. Uh, the maze changed mm-hmm. um but he also finds a stairway and they go down the stairway for a little bit and they drop uh things down the stairway and they never hear a bottom to it yeah, they just it just goes yeah this, and uh, it's important to yeah. note too that the stairway is massive it's huge like it's yeah. very 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 wide yeah so basically every room that they find is bigger and bigger so the one that navidson found this is also kind of like where that uh masculine bravado comes in mm-hmm. is the first one that Navidson finds. It seems massive. I believe they call like the, and you know, like, a, I forget what they call it, but it's like, you know, the vestibule. It's yeah. like, a, it is, it's a sm- comparatively small room. Yes. And the next one is the grand room, right. which is like astronomically bigger. Yeah. And then beyond that is this crazy stairway that tunnels forever into the earth. Mm-hmm. So they come back, they talk about it. Um, you know, Navidson is kind of seething about all this, especially about Holloway flirting with Karen and things like that. Right. Uh, they go on another expedition for um, like eight hours or yeah, something like it's that. It's a while. And, and they just walk as f- they keep going down and down and down the uh, stairway. That the mass, stairway. Stas- massive staircase. Yeah. Even walking down the staircase for literal hours and like dropping a flare down to see the bottom there is no bottom as far as they can tell. They can't even hear the yeah, flare hit the super bottom. Far. Yep. So they come back and uh, they're preparing for expedition three in which Holloway is bringing weapons. And uh, at this point, like we said, Navidson believes that the growling was probably like groaning actually of the house mo- or of the maze movement. Right. But Holloway's not taking chances at this point. Uh, he's kind of like, I'm bringing a gun. Right. And well, it's because you, you can't make me not bring he's a, a gun. big game hunter. <laughs> like one of his big things is, you know, like hunting dangerous animals. And uh, so, you know, he's going to have them. Uh, and it's going to be one of his first instincts to uh, go that way uh, rather than yep. just assume it's nothing. Yep. And they have a brief moment of camaraderie here where they both realize that they have discovered something that is potentially going to uh, make them rich. Maybe but for sure is going to make their story, you make them immortal, basically. Yeah, they're going to be, like, unbelievably famous for discovering something that has never been discovered before. Yeah, discovering basically a spatial anomaly inside a house. Um, And while they're having this brief kind of camaraderie, Wax is in the kitchen with Karen, and uh, while, so while Navidson's eyes have been on Holloway, trying to make sure that he doesn't, mess around with Karen because he's been flirting with her, her like since yeah, and her history of infidelity mm-hmm. uh it's wax actually who he and Karen have a makeout session yeah. in his kitchen yeah, right in the kitchen which right he discovers 
Yep, which he discovers months later. Because of the footage. As we're told, after after everything is gone. Yeah. Everyone's gone. His family's gone. Uh, it's just Navidson. Yeah. And he sees it, and he is, at this point, beyond even upset. Yeah. He's just kind of like... Okay, yeah, I mean, it's it's too. literally like, oh, well, that's like another thing that happened during this whole, you know, debacle. Because, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, she based on what she's already said, <clears throat> if you go in there, I'm taking the kids and leaving. Very clearly, everyone's gone. Navidson went back in that hallway. Yeah. And uh, so the third expedition, they plan on being gone for five days. Yeah, they're like, they're, they're, they're taking extra supplies. Uh, I think they got more line. I think, or are they, are they foregoing the line this time? I'm trying to remember. Uh, no, they have, they have like insane amounts of because line. yeah they like went to the store to get the really like high pressure fishing uh fishing yeah line. like di- and like tons of yeah money. because i mean they're i mean we're, we're talking miles of line when you yeah. think about how far they're, and, they're walking and for how long yeah and so the um the living room kind of becomes command center during all these expeditions they they're communicating by radio until they can't so at a certain point you're out of radio uh right uh Distance, yeah, well, whatever. it makes sense when you think about the fact how like how radio works on like a scientific level. Like, there's nothing to bounce radio waves off of uh, in theory, right? At a certain point, or it's they're bouncing forever at the beginning of the labyrinth, but it's where it's moving and right. constantly changing. The sound will die because it's not going that direction. I mean, because yeah. sound waves and, you know, travel; they, in, they're directional, you know. Yeah, and they are walking, you know, hours straight down into the earth, right? Well, we don't know. Like it, you, would, you assume it's into the earth. Well, in, in the, into yeah, the something that's, you're walking into into that's, something, but you're yeah, going. That's down. the physical sensation, anyway. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, he Reston is still there despite having a university job and things on. He's he's taking sort of a uh, sabbatical or something. Minor because yeah, he's, minor sabbatical. He's too, in, he's too in, man. He's like entrenched. He says we we yeah. have to we have to we have to plumb the depths of this uh, of this mystery. Yeah, and so uh, and so is Navidson. Navidson basically it's cons- it's consumed so, him at this point. It's yeah, uh, completely completely got him at this point. He, yep, and so just, um, it is him. He is it. Yeah, the five days come and go. No sign. No nothing. Uh, and so people are you know they're getting worried, and Navidson is kind of like already in his head. He's kind of planning his rescue of these guys. Right. And that'll be sort of like, you know, how he recaptures his manhood in a sense. Yeah, because that's still, um, that's still for whatever reason, important to him. Like at this, like, yeah. the, the, it, not that his, like, not that I'm not saying that, like, whatever your own definition is of manhood, but uh, I've always thought it was weird that, like, some folks can allow, like, others to, like, make them feel some kind of way about the man that they are or are supposed to be. Right. That's just always been, like, weird to me because, like, no one can tell me anything about that. But, like, it is clearly important to him. And he's like, it's my chance. It's here. It is. It's presenting itself. Yeah, um, yeah. And so uh, this, there's still no word for two more days. So by I think the night of day seven, or uh, so the seventh night that these guys have been in there, they begin hearing knocking on the inside of the walls. Yep. And they're looking for it because it's kind of it's kind well, of when you say they, you mean you mean Navidson and Reston, right? Yeah. Sorry. Navidson and yeah, the people who are not in the in the in the mix. Yes. And it's kind of everywhere and kind of nowhere. But at one point Tom is in the I think guest room, bedroom, and he and he thinks that it's happening right on the other side of the yep. wall. Um so at this point, Navidson 
doesn't care about uh, his promise anymore. Right. He's like, I'm going in there and I have to go in there because those guys are in trouble. Right. And while that's true, you know, there's this deeper part of him. I think that we can all understand where he's like, he, he sort of has to do it for himself. Right. Um, but Karen's like, well, can we call the police or something? He's like, what are you talking? You know, what are we going to tell the police that our friends got lost in a, you know, a maze that is impossible. Yeah. And literally <laughs> an impossible maze inside of our closet inside of our inside yeah. <laughs> of, that appeared in our living room yeah and so the next chapter chapter nine which we have not read yet is when they go when navidson goes into the maze yeah. and uh if you happen to have the book and you look ahead just kind of skimming through you see that the structure of the book on a on the page begins to break down yes. and become wild yeah and this and this and it's this is where like for for all intents and purposes, we've got a very like David Foster Wallaceian novel happening up to this point, uh, with yeah. like you know uh, mostly um, linear. Uh, I would say two linear stories occurring simultaneously, but they're both moving forward, um, and you know you've got footnotes and, and notes. You know, uh, it's it's not all that different than you know a lot of uh, postmodern fiction. Um, but yeah, where house of leaves begins to separate itself is where we will, uh, you know, sort of like jump in, in the next episode. Um, but I want to talk about the knocking really quick, um, because I know exactly when it happened in the book, because I made, uh, I made a note on this on page 98. Uh, it is actually the, uh, for a section break, uh, there is, it's uh, Morse code, uh, Morse code is yep. used as a second, uh, section break and it's the SOS. And so you are seeing Morse code you are visualizing it as it's being tapped out in the story. Um, and being explained to yes. you. Yes. Know? But like, it's like, I don't know, man, that's like so cool. Like it's not the, it's not the last time they used the Morse code for a section break either. I, I don't know why I said well, they, it, it, he. It actually happens even before that. Does it? Um, so chapter eight, kind of throughout chapter eight, there are these seemingly random periods in between uh, paragraphs and sometimes in the middle of a paragraph. So was so that like before first, page 98? Because I was thinking page 98 was chapter 8, but I, I don't have the book in front of me now. It's it's page 97 gotcha. is when it happens. Gotcha, gotcha. Is the first... Um, well, so the beginning of page 97, like, you know, there's the chapter, yeah. and then there's sort of a little quote at the beginning. Then there's the SOS. And then um, later there is uh, another section break that is the SOS. But the first paragraph, um, part of the way through, like it says, not to mention surrounding shelves... And that's the end of a line on a page, you yeah. know? But it's the middle of a sentence. And then there's a line break, and there's a period. Yeah. And then there's another yeah, line Where the periods break, begin to break says, up the sentences. Yeah, and it says, already loaded with sample jars. So it's finishing that previous sentence. And you begin to see how these periods are sort of following the uh, the Morse code. Yep. So there's Got longer expanses of text and shorter ones where these periods are. Um, so this is really... I think what you're getting at is like where the structure begins to reflect what's happening yep. in the book. It's like it's it's happening to the reader while it's happening to the characters. Um, but the book, yep. like and the book, first, can't knock at you. You know, like this is what it can do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if it did, I would I would stop reading. Uh, much like having a, yeah. a haunted hallway, uh, I'd know when uh, you know know when to hold them, when to fold them. Uh, that's a fold them. I'm out. Uh, <laughs> if the book is knocking yeah. at that point. And one thing that, so at first when I was reading this chapter, I was like, this is so random. Like, 
Um, cause I, you know, you remember all the structural stuff and I was like, why are there these periods yeah. in like the middle of sentences with line breaks? And, uh, it's like my brain wasn't connecting until, cause that in that chapter, um, is when the knocking happens and he's, there's kind of a brief explanation of SOS and yeah. where that comes from and things like that. Uh, so it wasn't until I was like near the end of the chapter, I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. The SOS is, is all through this chapter. Yeah. I, w- I wonder if he, uh, you know, because I, it made me think of how like, uh, the band tool, uh, when they did their album lateralis, they did like most of the songs in the Fibonacci sequence. Uh, it's, it mm-hmm. repeats throughout the album a lot. And then, you know, the lead singer, Maynard James Keenan later talked about, he's like, Oh, it was too obvious. You know, like I feel, I feel, I don't know. I feel like we shouldn't have done it like that because like, it just seemed like too obvious, even though I think it's cool as hell. Um, and so I wonder <laughs> if Daniel Lewski was like, I don't know, man, putting the, putting that in there. Cause like, while I think this is like cool as hell, I could see an author being like, Oh, but was it too obvious? Did I feel like I was like pointing at the reader? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I really liked it. I really like stuff like that. So like to me, right at this point is when the book is really getting good. I've, I've loved everything up until this point. But now um, I am like double reinvested uh, when stuff like this starts happening. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, so so I've kind of given a brief summary of what the Navidson Report is. Um, and the Navidson Report is given in a kind of like academic style. It's not very, it's not always very evocative. Sometimes it sort of breaks. And Johnny Truant always marks when you feel like more of the author's coming through. Mm-hmm. But um, Truant, as, uh, as Joe said, he's got a very interesting style. He does a lot of like run on sentences that yeah. become very like a, uh, evocative and experimental and, uh, it's very stream of consciousness, of... uh, but, but yeah. controlled not, it's like not in a way that ever feels like it's off the rails. You're just like, man, yeah, he's it's... been, he's been talking a while. Yeah. Or it's off the wi- It's off the rails very on purpose. Yes. You know, it's, it's a very deliberate off the rails. Um, and not, it doesn't confuse you, I think is like part of it. But uh, we also come to just, like, interesting things in the book. For example, all the footnotes kind of lead you somewhere. But there's a footnote on page 96 um, that says, you know, see Exhibit 4 for the complete transcript oh my God. of the last This one interview. is the frustrating and, one, isn't it? Yeah, and you go to uh, Exhibit 4, and you open that page, and it says, basically, the last interview is missing. Yes, it's missing. It's And it's, it's not, like... <laughs> see, the book is, like, so good at teasing you and like telling you like you're gonna like you're gonna get a treat um if you stick with this and this is the first time i don't know if it's the last time but it's definitely the first time where it's like haha just kidding there's the treat's gone like it's it's not going to appear there's there's nowhere else to turn Um, at this you can there's nowhere to find the transcripts interestingly too page 97 um so the beginning of chapter eight where the uh the sos begins has a check mark in the bottom right corner. Yeah. Which so if if you read the whale's toe letters, uh, which I guess we can talk. Yeah, about we that. should we should talk about them because uh, yeah. So the, the whale's toe letters are written from the early '80s to basically through the whole decade of the '80s. Yeah. It begins when Johnny is very young. His dad has just died. Um, his dad died a year before these letters start coming in. And you kind of discover that they're from his mom. That's pretty clear yeah. from the very first one. But his mom, you find out, has been institutionalized since before his dad died. Um, yes. And it takes a little while to learn that. Because at first I was like, oh, uh, you know, her husband dying maybe caused her to have this mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, 
she had the mental breakdown and was in the uh you know uh, the uh, asylum before that and she's writing these letters and they are very uh poetic and kind of like yes dramatic and interesting yeah, she, she's and, very uh very flowery with her prose yeah uh, she, and this is where a lot of the uh, like we said earlier of the other languages come in she uses the um, yeah. um you know the old english she uses the latin the french french spanish she uses a lot of french at first that's what i was like messaging uh messaging you when i was starting to read through them um and it was it wasn't jarring it felt like this was part of her personality to me like it felt yeah. it didn't feel like how do I put it? Like, you know, like, like showing off, like she, like who she, she's not trying to impress her son. This is just, I feel like who she was with her son. Yeah. She's just a very literate person. You know, she's very well read. She references all kinds of works of literature, including Greek mythology and Greek mythology is littered all through this book, including just, you know, what we'll talk about with like labyrinths and minotaurs. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe we won't go too deep into that yet. I think next episode, that's going to be kind of like the focus of the episode because he's going to be in the uh, labyrinth itself. Yes. But um, so at some point, you know, she's at an asylum and she's having a mental breakdown Mm -hmm. while she's at the asylum. And uh, you kind of learn through her uh, self-absorption what's happening to Johnny as well. And she sometimes like you, we don't have any of Johnny's letters. Yeah, We we don't know sometimes respond to it. Yeah, she'll sometimes respond to something that's clearly troubling him when he's like, you know, 12 years old. He's having trouble with his foster family and his new school. And she's just kind of like, oh, you know, it'll be fine. This is what's happening to me. And then she goes on, you know, about basically a delusion. Yeah. Uh, Um, And at some point. If you notice, like sometimes like the deeper she is into a given delusion, like she will write letters like two days apart because there's dates on the letters. And then sometimes there's like months in between. And so like. I was trying to like keep track of that. I was trying to just hold that in my head as I was reading. I'm like, I was like, okay, how far away is this one from the last one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and at some point when she's in like the worst case of one of these delusions, she believes that the staff is basically against her and they're intercepting their mail and stuff like that. And she sends him a mail in a roundabout way, um, with the instruction to put a check mark in the bottom right corner of his next letter to show that he has received her very special instructions. Yes. Um, and that's the last you hear about that check mark. Yes. And then you, you come to page 97, which is, you know, uh, a few. So because the whale's toe letters are an appendix, it's both after and before right. this part of the book. Yeah. Uh, chapter so chap- five. The end of chapter yeah. five. Yeah. The end of chapter five says, go read these and you can choose to or not. Um, if you did, you'll come to ch- chapter uh, eight page 97 and you'll see your first check mark in the bottom right corner of a page and i literally don't know what that means yeah yeah i don't know either <laughs> like, i mean why is that there uh like we're gonna have to sit with it uh because you know neither of us have read this book in the last decade so uh you know from my you know a cellular level we are no longer the same people uh we were when we read yeah. it so there's no way to remember everything and so we're gonna have to re- rediscover what the what the check marks mean but clearly um it's something yeah and so that's something to kind of keep track of is there's nothing that's not deliberate in this book including the lies and the red herrings and things like that yeah they're they're everything Um, is it's oh man it's just so it's it's why we talked about this you know not on the pod but like how it's wild that this is you know his first book because this is like what like a really great band like working on like their debut album for like 10 years and it's like it comes out and it sounds immaculate and you know yeah it's just that's what yeah. this feels like to me. 
it's like if Sgt. Pepper's was the Beatles' first album. Yeah. You'd just be like, how did they how'd they do yeah. that? Um, or maybe even the White Album was their first album. But uh, so the Whale's Toe letters, there's a bunch of them. And it's like 80 pages long. Um, and it's all in this appendix. And you find out at the end that his mother died. Uh, she hung herself. Yeah. Right? Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Johnny had been to see her a number of times and she didn't remember. She wasn't well, really, she like, remembered the first like couple, that. like the first one or two. Yeah. And then he would write her letters back, which, you know, that he wrote because she would say in your last letter, you said you were here and we talked about blah, blah, blah. And I don't remember any of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, his mom died in 1989 and the Navidson report begins in 1990. Yep. And it's unclear exactly. Well, maybe it's not unclear. Let's look at the introduction. Is there a time on the introduction? Well, all I know is, okay, so when Wax is making out with uh, Karen, that's the paper, uh, which, oddly enough, uh, Johnny Truant uh, has a like a little digression in there. Um, and he talks about, uh, or maybe it's Zampano, one of them. Uh, no, it's Johnny Truant talking about Zampano, talking about the morning paper spelled M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, uh, because it was sort of like, signifier of the the doomed marriage at that point because that the yeah. paper was on the table as they were making up but anyway that's when they were talking about the uh annulled conviction of oliver north july 20th 1990 so that's when that yeah. part is happening so that yeah and so uh I, I just looked at the introduction again because of course it's dated <laughs> so it's so much easier uh, when you just pay attention <laughs> You have the the end of the introduction. It's signed by Johnny Truant. This is where you learn who Johnny Truant is. Um, it's kind of an introduction to him and how he found Zampano and why he's putting this book together. So he's been putting this book together for some amount of years. Um, it's it's unclear when he first stumbled upon it. But uh, the book is done, and he's written his introduction on October 31st, 1998. So Halloween 1998, yeah. which is, I feel like, another sign that uh, this is actually a horror, a horror yeah. book, even though it doesn't look or feel like one for a while yeah. again like you said nothing is put in this book without a purpose um just absolutely everything is sort of like um i feel like the, uh, this book is in the, the vein of like the gene wolf uh super fans who like oh, yeah. look at book of the new sun as like everything being intricately placed by a master craftsman um rather than like you know him just even like lucking out that all his stuff ended up working uh, more or less without, you know, which is kind of how I, I think the truth of yeah. book of the new yeah, that's Sun my is. personal <laughs> opinion. Uh, I, I don't uh-huh. think it's like invalid necessarily to think of it as being like, you know, basically one step below being written by a divine being. Uh, I feel like it's only problematic <laughs> if like you're harassing people online, but, um, like, yeah. uh, you know, I, I feel like this is the same thing though, uh, in the sense that like nothing's out of place. Um, right. Everything is happening for what the, the, the authorial intent. Um, I don't think, at least it doesn't, it didn't occur to me the first time and it hasn't occurred to me yet that Dan Aluski had like written himself into a corner, uh, and he kind of had to like pull one out of like thin air or something. Um, it has not felt like that at all. Yeah. My feeling is that he was continually writing himself into corners and that's where but, like, he was never out of control at the same right. time, if you know what I yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's um, what I mean. Like, he was never, like, I feel like George R. R. Martin, for example, God bless him, I think he writes himself yeah. into, like, problems that, like, gives him, he gives himself, like, writer's block because he doesn't want to get to get rid of what he's got because, you know, it's uh, he's so far in and then also so far behind. But also, like, it doesn't make sense, like, where he wants to go next. I feel like I, I, I just, yeah. I get this impression from him that 
he writes himself into problems. <laughs> I think uh, the good Papa George has been in this bottomless pit for 10 yeah. years. Yeah. Um, will he ever come out? I don't think so. Yeah. But uh, that's okay. R.I.P. Um, good Papa George. But yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so like, you know, everything is on purpose. And so that's kind of why coming to this checkmark is so uh, strange to me. Because it's for some reason, and it, and it is clearly a callback to something that either you have or haven't read at this point. Yeah. Like it's not, because, it's not a printing um, error. It's not, it was a, you know, it wasn't, no. it's not there by accident. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, at this point you either haven't read the whale's toe letters or you have. And, uh, so it's like the other end of this check mark is either ahead of you or behind yeah. you. And you're not sure why this one is here. And it's super, it's and, super easy to miss. Uh, it's not because it's not a large yeah. check mark. Um, she, yeah, she, she tells mark. them in the letters, don't make it super conspicuous. Uh, you know, Right. Maybe make it look like and, a uh, typesetting error, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it is. I, I, I have a feeling that it's the only checkmark. Well, we'll find uh, out. But it, it will. It, it yeah. does mean we need to probably come back to that page at some point based on something. Um, or it's yeah. just like, uh, you know, maybe it's them receiving the signal, the Morse code, them figuring out the tapping, as, you know, the SOS. Yeah. It, could, it could be something as quote unquote simple as that. I mean, it even could just be like, you know, when, uh, it could be a way that Johnny's trying to communicate with his dead mom. Yeah. Yeah. Shut. Through an SOS. Yeah. yeah I mean, I there, there's, there's a lot of possibilities here. And I, I, yeah. I think that some of it, um, you know, like, you know, again, you know, the, uh, the, the, the part that's missing, you know, when you flip to the appendix and it's missing, uh, you know, some parts are meant to not be explicitly told or provided to you. Like you're just supposed to wonder. Yeah. And at this point in the novel, too, uh, Johnny is, uh, he's having a rough, rough go of yeah. it. He's, uh, he's potentially hallucinating yeah, it's, a monster yeah. chasing him. And, and so <laughs> like, it's why, yeah, it's wild because he's hearing the, the growl. He's hearing a growl. The word, I think, is also purposely used uh, from, you know, the Navidson, uh, you know, record, uh, you know, the, you know, the uh, Navidson heard it. Uh, the other guys heard it, you know, the, the exploration team. And they all referenced it as a growl. And so it's like the monster is in the labyrinth and it's also somehow chasing Johnny. And it's almost like the Navidson record is like this cursed piece of media. Like, you know, like the, in like right. the Japanese, like uh, the ring. The uh, ring. Uh, when did the ring come out, actually? It's got to be around the same time, too. This. Because, uh, you know. I'm just going to look it up. Uh, yeah. So like 2002 was the American movie. And Ringu. 1998 yeah. is the, uh, but I mean, so that would have come out while Danny Luskey was yeah, writing this and book. so it wouldn't surprise me if it's like, I mean, because he it doesn't come out and say like in the ring, like you know, it's very clearly a cursed piece of media. It's been explained as a cursed piece of media, but like the Na- the yeah. Navitson record or and or House of Leaves, the fictional title within House of Leaves, um, written by Zampano, uh, is like a cursed piece of media because like he died from. Who knows what? Well, I mean, I think they, they, he has an official uh, thing, but it could have been the monster that left the claw marks in the floor. Or, or- yeah. And um, so this is OK. So this, I think, just talking about it now, made me kind of uh, make a connection. You saying that especially. So when Johnny has this hallucination of this monster chasing him, he's in the back storeroom and the light goes out suddenly. Yeah. Of the, of the so tattoo now in Yep, at the tattoo parlor that he works at. So it's now pitch black, and um, 
at first he's trying to you know remain calm and he kind of like starts walking away but then he he falls down the stairs basically um and yeah so he he feels like there is another entity in the hallway with him and he's terrified and he hears like a growl uh it's so it happens when he's in pitch blackness, which is also when it happened to Navitzen. Yeah. You know, the maze is pitch blackness. And then Zampano is blind. Yep. So he lives in pitch blackness. Yep. Um, and I don't... I mean, I feel like that is a connection. Yeah, well, I mean, they get... How important is I, it? I can't remember <laughs> the cave itself, uh, but there's that, that, that footnote on the cave system where the people got lost, like, out... It's, like, in the open, cause, but it's, like, so big mm-hmm. uh, and so, like, tall. Like, it gave them this completely disoriented feeling. Um, and I think that it said that there was, like, you know, that's the time when you, like, start hallucinating. Uh, like, right. who knows what, like, happening. Um, God, I'm going to have to look up the cave system now because I know that... I wrote it down somewhere, but it's not on the notes that I printed, of course, because, you know, why would it be? Yeah. <laughs> so I have a theory about Zampano as well, okay. which is sort Hit of me. a intertextual kind of a theory. I think Zampano is basically meant to be Borges. Yeah, I could see that, especially um, with this you know name. Yeah, you know, so uh, Borges, for those who don't know, is a very famous Argentinian uh, short story writer and academic. Um, he wrote a book called Labyrinths, based on you know named after the short story Labyrinths, mm-hmm. which is about labyrinths um his books are very postmodern and kind of slippery and tricky yeah. and uh, a lot of fun um he dabbled in genre in an interesting way he also uh wrote reviews of books that didn't exist yeah as like short stories yeah. um which i think and is so is the fact yeah and uh he he said he did that because he didn't have the patience to write a novel so rather than write his novel he just wrote a review of the novel he wanted to write. Yeah. Which is, and that's that how is he just would kind such of like a, get it out of his system. That is just such a take, you know? That is just such, it's a, such an interesting such a thing to do. Because, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if anyone else had done such a thing before yeah. him. But, um, but so Zampano is, uh, Borges also had a love of the ladies. Yes. And Zampano has a love of the ladies. So he is, he's blind, just like Borges was blind. And he narrates this whole book to different people who help him yes and they're always women yes he always brings a woman you know has a woman come to his house and just write down what he says which is why the notes are so scattered and all over the place because it's not one Um, person writing the notes yeah it's 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 a ton and uh you know borges had a love of the ladies zampano clearly had a love of the ladies they're both blind they are probably you know zampano sounds like a spanish name i think that's the way that it's meant to be and zampano is clearly writing a book about something that maybe never happened but treating it deathly serious and like an academic uh thing like this is an academic uh investigation into a known thing that famously happened that truant has never once even heard of which is it's just like it's wild but you know he truant goes down the rabbit hole all the same yeah yeah and it is kind of like a you know a ring sort of thing like you said where it's you know, uh, Navidson finds the hallway, becomes obsessed with it. Uh, Truant finds the hallway in Zampano's book and becomes obsessed with the book. Mm-hmm. So much so that he takes what kind of sound just basically like a box full of paper, like just a box of someone's scribbling. Right. And goes, and he read all of it. And he's like, I need to put this together. Yeah. Whereas, like, uh, he was compelled. Most of us, like, 
Yeah, he, it was yeah. like a divine compulsion that it needed to be assembled in some sort of fashion that yeah. was comprehensible. Yeah, and most of us, me included, I would have been like, well, let's, uh, let's just throw this away, I yeah, guess. Yeah, like, well, what do you want us to do? <laughs> this is like, none of this is even, like, it doesn't even match. It's like on different paper. Like, I mean. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't occur. It's it, footnotes it, to things that aren't real. Yeah, like, it, necess- it wouldn't even, like, necessarily occur to me that it was one piece of thing. It might have, I might have looked at it and be like, oh, my God, this is so much, like, just random stuff. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think that's part of the question of the book, too, is, like, how much of this is actually Zampano and how much is it Johnny sort of a uh, willing something into being? Right. Um, and, you know, the, the fact that the whale's toe letters are included, it's like... Yeah, which would, which would be an uh, authorial choice by Johnny to include them. Yeah, which... Well, the editors say they include it basically with Johnny's yeah. permission after Johnny's changed everyone's names. Yeah. Um, which is like, so wild because there's dad, a whole... There's actually even like a whole... like like mini section on uh page 17 footnote number 23 what is in a name you know uh yeah lude whose real name might be harry johnny truant is that his real name does it matter old man zapano is that his real name you know like we we assume yeah. that it is I, well we know that truant's last name isn't truant right. but that uh, that's still his pen name uh, because that's still a tribute right like it's a, the the work yeah, is attributed yeah. to, to, to johnny truant right and is that, and Truant doesn't think Zampano's name is Zampano. Right. And uh, when you said lewd earlier, way at the beginning of the podcast, and you were like, not L-E-W-D, mm-hmm. that was the first time it struck me that I was like, oh, man. That's why, like, that's part of his name. Yeah. Is, because he's, he's kind of a lewd Yeah, dude. no, he's absolutely. A, like, I just meant it wasn't greasy, spelled that way. Yeah, guy. like, I think that No, I know, but it's like, well, it, it's... I read this book before, and I never made that connection. Here's the thing, though. Like, I, uh, I know that Daniel Lewski... Uh, read a lot of Derrida, um, you know, uh, difference and difference, uh, you know, at signs and signifiers. No, wait, that was uh, someone else. Maybe not. Anyway, uh, you know, like Derrida was always very playful with words and the way that, you know, yeah. a written word and a spoken word could, you know, be in theory the same and sound the same, but could be, you know, completely different. And uh, so it makes absolute sense that a dude named Lude would be into drugs, but also like a very crude individual doing shady things. Yeah. Who love? Who also loves yeah. the ladies. Loves loves having sex. So does Johnny. Yeah, That's I mean, like a, yeah. a lot of Johnny's narrative is a, you know, doing drugs, getting drunk, having sex, um, yeah. with just just strangers. Yeah, mostly. And, and a lot of this reminds me of like Hemingway and later how like all those expats used to just go to countries drink heavily uh have like relationships and just like hang out like a lot of those a lot of those books like the the characters didn't like do a lot you know they just kind of like yeah went from place to place you know the, the stuff that would end up influencing like heavily influencing like hunter thompson who famously said he yeah. never lets the truth get in the way of a good story uh i think that's very yeah. applicable to this book for sure yeah it's a you know it's a did you ever read charles bukowski yes of course he did we're about this. We're similar yeah. in age, and we grew up at a time when he was very popular. Yeah, it, just, but, uh, despite yeah, not I mean, being a great dude, uh, Borges also had some uh, not great uh, personal things in his life. But uh, uh, Bukowski, <laughs> n- notably, also not not a great dude, wrote some good stuff though. He and I mean, we know he wasn't a good dude because he told us in his yeah. Books, he straight up t- he, like, it wasn't even <laughs> hidden. Like for some people, like no. uh, you know, it wasn't like finding out David Foster Wallace was in fact like kind of like a horrible monster of a person to the people in his life yeah. uh no that doesn't surprise me honestly yeah. but uh 
Yeah, and Johnny Trent also falls in love with this stripper who keeps coming to the tattoo parlor to get tattoos yeah. that he who he who he calls Thumper. Did he find out her name? I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Or did he just always call Not her Thumper? Yet. And that's just who she is. She has yeah, a tattoo of a rabbit. Who she is to him. Yep, which reminds him of the rabbit from uh, what's it called? Uh, the, the, the the Bambi, right? Bambi, yeah. yes. I was like the movie with the, the deer, deer that gets shot. The deer shot. that gets shot, <laughs> and then the rabbit was in it. <laughs> yep. Bambi. Um, and so also a stripper she becomes name, sort often. of yeah she becomes sort of like a uh, almost like a totemic sort of like goddess force yes. to him you know she he he sort of worships her and she is mostly unaware of him yeah um, and kind of treats him you know foolishly she treats him uh, she's nice to him she's not like rude to him I don't I never got yeah. the impression that she was like stringing him along or anything but like you said she's mostly like unaware of him He's got her yeah. up on a pedestal, and she's like, oh. Like, when he, she remembers his name, he, like, it's, like, means the world to him when she remembers his name is Johnny. Yeah. Yeah, which I think partly shows, uh, you know, when when you revealed Johnny's background and childhood, it kind of makes sense that, first, he would have really a lot of trouble uh, making connections with people. Right. Which seems pretty clear throughout the novel. And then the other thing is, like, when he does make a connection, it's uh, it hits him a lot harder than it would probably someone who grew up with a normal family life. Right. Um, but uh, what was I going to say about Thumper? I can't remember. Oh, uh, oh uh, so he writes her a long, like, ode, basically, yeah. and gives it to her. Yeah. And uh, she laughs at first. But then at the end of the day, she, she you know, they go get coffee. And he's like, okay, here's my chance. I'm finally, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to, like, make this into something. And instead, he just talks at her yes. about uh the navitson report yeah, it's for like it's wild at least an hour yeah, yeah it's uh <laughs> i could the whole time i was thinking like oh oh you're do- this is what you're doing oh you're doing this okay well yeah <laughs> you which i think is like a sign of, of like <laughs> yeah it's like how how the how this has captured him yeah. the way that it's kind of captured navitson yeah yeah it's um oh one thing I wanted to mention I don't even know how to work this in otherwise but every time an instance of the word house is used in the book it's blue oh, yeah. um and it is a specific blue it is literally chroma key blue used in uh like TV and film editing and things like that hmm. uh which I thought was interesting I that was actually uh thrown out from an interview that uh you know the author did so um Interesting. Uh, you know, e- e- even if it's used in like a word like coffee house or whorehouse or something like which those words get used, uh, it's it's still blue. Like half the word is blue, uh, yeah. which is always anytime. Interesting. Yeah, house h o u s is always, and then uh, anything that's crossed out is in red. Yeah. which red. we first see that on the copyright page. Yeah, and then we see the, and then I think I don't think we see it again like in text until like page one hundred nine, like for the next section. It's where we start yeah. seeing stricken citations and stuff. Which, uh, yeah. oh man, it's so good. There's just so much stuff in here that like I want to talk about, but I want to also obviously s- save because I, I don't want us to get to a point where we feel like we're, we don't have enough stuff for, you know, an episode. Like, cause we've like, <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard to imagine with this yeah. book running out of stuff just because, I mean, part of why it's hard, the reason I want to just like tell the Navidson report is cause that's like the backbone yeah. of the novel. And then there are a million tendrils. Yes off of yeah. it so like there's there's tons of stuff about greek mythology um including like uh you know when the concept of echo comes up zampano goes on like a long section yeah. describing like the myth of echo yeah. um and then johnny truant's mom in the whale's toe letters 
uh, references a lot of yeah. um, characters from yeah. Greek she mythology. even talks about uh, protecting him by dipping him head head first and then foot first into the river Styx so that he would not have an Achilles heel. You know, it's like he would have no weaknesses. Yeah. Um, and uh, she me- she mentions um, when she finds out that uh, Johnny's foster father is physically abusing yeah, him, like yeah, beating him. That, that was that was yeah, um, that was the one. She she references Agamemnon's wife. For those who don't know, Agamemnon's wife uh, brutally murdered him right. after he came back from Troy. Right. Um, and she, so she's like, I will become, I, I can't remember her. It's a hard name to say. Yeah. Even if I had it in front of me, I wouldn't say it yeah. right. But, <laughs> but I know who you mean because I done just yeah, read that uh, part. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Because I, um, I forgot to go back and read the uh, Whale's Tale letters still this past weekend. Yeah. So funny enough, uh, I, I'm kind of glad that we're reading this now because last year I read a bunch of Greek myths for no good reason there's always a good reason and that's to fill well, yeah. your brain and yeah your soul. But, uh, so things like this are uh uh in my head already when we're reading this which is working out well um another weird thing between the whale's toe letters and um the navitson report is uh at one point uh in the navitson report zapano describes someone being like torn to pieces but he spells it pisces yes which uh and um yes yeah, Johnny's mom does the exact same thing in one of her letters. Yeah, there's a couple like she's there's a couple like uh, quirks of language. Uh, Johnny himself always says "would of" versus "would have." Uh, yeah, uh, a lot as one word. Yes, yep, yep. Um, and then uh, you said like uh, his mom has one that I'm I, that I just I just like sent sent this to you like yesterday. Yeah, you texted me because I was like yeah. I was like it's weird because she's got like this flowery prose. Where she is like, you know, writing very well, very. Uh, oh, I I remember what it is. It's a in, instead of matter of factly, she says matter of factly. Yes, yes, that's what it was. So with an with an a instead of o. Yeah, it's so it's always weird, but like it's also consistent. And again, when it's consistent right. like that, you know that it's intentional. Um, yeah. And so I don't know if that's more like, oh, this is the way we used to say it. Because like I don't know about you guys, but like in our family, like us with our kids, we still say stuff. Like we'll just bring up something that that kids used to say that was hilarious, like the way that they said it back in the day. Um, yeah, it was just you know that's just like a familial thing. That's like a that's like a our thing, you know. And from what I understand, yeah. like that a lot of families do that. And I'm so like yeah. sometimes I'm wondering if that's like a like a familial thing, you know, because it's like Johnny and his mom are the main ones that do that. Yeah, the way that might be, but the way I took it is, um, I think that. Both Johnny and his mom are very literate people, but they didn't, they're not educated people. Right, 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 for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, at, you know, we've all been in a place where you type a word and you're like, or a phrase, and you're like, that that can't be right. Yeah. And uh, now we can just Google it. Right. But, you know, in the 90s or 80s, they're, yeah. You're, you're probably typing like, on yeah, a typewriter whatever. even in the 80s. And so, you know, matter of factly yeah. isn't going to have a magical squiggly red line underneath <laughs> it, you know, like. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so it's, um, it, it feels, I think it makes it feel more real. Yeah. More like the way people, it's not so much that they're trying to mimic spoken language as that because they, they didn't go through like proper education in the same way the way that they write is the way that they talk because they didn't learn a way to write right 
know what I mean? Like, like we all learn a way to write in school. Like we write essays and things like that. Mm -hmm. And at work you learn a a new way to write by writing uh, emails and things like that. But if you've never done either of those things, no, you know, you, you've learned to write by just, uh, basically writing the way that you talk. Like, and and, and I think that is like a way that a lot of writers, uh, the dialogue they write is very, uh, influenced by how they, they yeah. speak, or at least how they hear others around them speak. Yeah, I mean, uh, the end of Ulysses is famously um, without a uh, without punctuation. Yeah. And that it, that's how James Joyce's wife wrote him letters. Yeah. They were just blocks of text without without uh, capital without capital letters or punctuation. Yeah, just go just going for it. Just <laughs> just just a stream of words. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, man, I don't know. There's there's so I like I feel like you know, where are we at here? We're at an hour and 27 minutes. And like, I don't, I feel like we have just scratched the surface just of the part that we read, <laughs> you know, like there's yeah. so much. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, I don't want to feel like we can't come back to like stuff like this. Like, I don't want to like put this, like say, all right, that part's behind us. We're never going to talk about the first hundred pages again. Like we can bring yeah. stuff up. I if think, we think about it. Yeah. I think with, with a book like this, you almost have to come back yeah. to certain things. Um, and uh i mean the thing is is like we we could have done this po- like a podcast on house of leaves could be 50 hours yeah long. it's absolutely, absolutely you could you could you could drill down into every reference yeah. you know what i mean it's like uh you know some people are afraid of reading um ulysses by james joyce because they're like i feel like i'm gonna miss stuff and it's like well that's part of yeah. it yeah uh, th- that's part really of part of malazan too. too you know just speaking of one that we're gonna yeah. cover uh, yeah. I, I i firmly believe having read it two full times since i've started a third time but I was, i'm gonna restart it restart it for when we do the pod um there is i don't think you're supposed to get it all in one read i don't think it matters if you no. get it all uh, i know a lot of people who have like kind of bounced off of it because they feel like they can't keep all the characters in their head and i i try to stress to them you don't need to just don't worry about yeah. that you, you read this as if you're coming across uh, found historical record of a time and place that existed somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. like a thing you could you think, could do research on. Like, I feel like you could do a research yeah. paper on certain aspects because Erickson was so, uh, you know, deliberate and detailed in a lot of his, like, accountings of this uh, stuff that, like, you, you could treat it as, like, a historical record and do a, you know, faux research paper on it because of the right. way that it struck. So, like, my point is, you don't, you don't like, read... Uh, you know, a textbook, for example, and memorize everything in it, right? You reference it, you come right. back to it. And I think that certain books like this, like Ulysses, like House of, like House of Leaves and Miles, you just come back to them and find new stuff each time. Yeah, and like, you know, the way I always explain or tell people how to like tackle a book like Ulysses, for example, is I say, read it like you would read any other book. You know, what other, if you, if someone hands you Pride and Prejudice, you're not like, oh, I got to do homework to read this right. book. You just open it up and you read it. Uh, and even though Ulysses is famously uh, difficult, I think I think the famous part is more is more than the actual difficult part. Yeah. Um, but it's like if you just read it like a normal book, it's like yes, you're gonna get lost, you're gonna get confused, but you just if if you can hang with it, just keep keep hanging. Yeah, I, I, I you can hang out in that book and uh, find yourself here and there. And that's uh, what I want to do. It's, that's it's just a book. one of the reasons I want to do Malazan because people have like it's another one of those things that people like say it can't be filmed but i think you could do it if you had like a really good animation studio make it uh, uh, i think Ma- go ahead i think Malazan can be filmed yeah because like uh, uh there, there's just like certain parts that are so like epic you almost need uh the visual style of uh, uh, a talented animation studio uh, rather than trying to yeah 
force some cheesy special effects. Uh, I, 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 I that's my opinion on it. But we'll talk about that when we talk about that series. But <laughs> yeah, though, so, with regard to uh, House of Leaves, I will say that it is impossible to film. I mean, you could, you could film this. You could, you, yeah, you could film, be, but it would just be you would you would be missing chunks. You, there's no way to film when the like when the text starts like reshaping itself on the pages. Like, what are you what are you going to do? Yeah, for I, that? I mean, there, there's things you could do, but yeah. it, it would be a dramatically different thing. The reason I would say that you shouldn't film it is because House of Leaves is deliberately taking the physical object of a book to the you know to the limit. Yeah. You know, it 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 does thing. So film and books are obviously different mediums, and they're different mediums for different reasons. Yeah, and that's okay, and by the way. Do we, diff- I feel like people get like yeah. like hung up on this, like, oh, the book is not, not as, or the book is better than the movie, or the movie is not as good as the book. Uh, like, I feel like that's yeah, like, arbitrary. Like, don't worry about that. Like, that's no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my feeling on ad- adaptations is basically you want to capture the spirit of the book without being uh, a slave to yeah, the book. Yeah, which I, what I like, I, what I think they did with the first couple seasons of Game of Thrones. I felt like those were great. Yeah. Uh, they yeah. didn't have every single detail, um, but they captured the what it what it felt like the to read it. Of the, yeah, I'd say the Lord of the Rings movies too. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. There's for a, sure. If you're if you're a purist, there's a lot of problems with it, and you might hate it. But uh, they did a pretty. Oh good man, job. being a purist and sounds it, exhausting. It feels, uh, I'm just going to be honest. Yeah, it it is. But uh, House of Leaves is so needed. Like it can't even be an ebook or an audiobook, right. for example. Although it can be um, a PDF. I mean, uh, yeah. It, but it would be yeah. better if it, if someone could make a PDF where you could like click the link to take you to the you know what I mean like interactive PDF right full of hyperlink yeah but it can't be like yeah. it can't be like an EPUB or a Mobi because those are not lending themselves to what like the physicality yeah. of the book the book is trying to do yeah it I mean it might even make more sense to make it into like an app that's just yeah yeah that would be cool a new experience that would be that would but be even really that cool. it, would, it would be an adaptation yeah. it would be it, it'd be really cool but it would be different. Um, because House of Leaves is literally from cover to cover, just stretching what a physical object of a book can be. Right. Um, it's doing things typographically, but even just structurally that you can't do outside of a book. Right. Um, and that's, I think, what what makes it such an important book, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe our last great experimental novel. Well, I, mean, um, I just it's it's hard for me at least to imagine where else you could go from there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I've you know I feel like like I have this hesitation anytime someone says that's this is as far as the medium can go, right? Like I even slightly felt that when you started to say it, but I'm like, no, this really feels like the extent to what a physical book can can do. Like I said, the book can't knock, for example. You know what I mean? Like. Like yeah. the, the SOS. Like, so like you could do that in an app now that we have like haptic feedbacks and stuff and like devices. Right. Uh, but you're right. It would be a different experience. But like, you know, I, I hate hearing like, oh, this is as far as movies can go. This is as far as music yeah. can go. Uh, because but see, it, I th- it's never the case. Go ahead. Finish. I was just say it's never the case. What you said feels like it is the case. Like I, I just, I personally maybe I'm just not imaginative enough to imagine a book going beyond what House of Leaves is as a book. Yeah. And I mean, I've read a lot of experimental literature in my life and I, I sort of feel like linguistically between uh, Joyce, Beckett and William S. Burroughs, we've kind of done what we can do with language. Yeah. A lot of people disagree, but I think most people who have written experimental novels of the last 50 years, basically, are basically retreading yeah. some version of those. And I mean, there's like did. tangents like, you know, you think of like Bartholomew and John Barth and, and Pynchon. Um, but yeah. those are kind of like extensions of like the Burroughs area of that triangle that you were referencing. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so, uh, I think that when you hear that, there's like this idea that you like the, the way to make good art, there's this idea I was just talking about with someone that like good art is innovative art. Um, and they were talking about, it was in the context of music where it's like, uh, you know, Richard Wagner in the 19th century kind of pushed classical music to its limit. Mm-hmm. And since then, no classical musician has really, well, they, there's been like Stravinsky and things like that, but like, uh, you know, you, you, everything you is still, in reaction. But you still hear Wagner like a lot too. Yeah. It's like everything is with, is in reaction to Wagner. Yeah. Like Stravinsky did what he did in um, Debussy, Debussy, uh, he did what he did in reaction to Wagner. Um, and just because we hit a limit with experimentation doesn't mean that the medium's done. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot more interesting stuff than just like experimenting with form and uh, sound and well, things like, like that. Well, like, you know, Nobuo so, Matsu, uh, Final Fantasy composer, yeah. mixing prog rock with classical. Uh, yeah. Not necessarily like uh, doing it like, you know, changing things up the way that Wagner did, but like it's his own spin at that point. Because like I, I yeah, hadn't heard I, prog rock mixed with uh classical until then. Like maybe I'm sure it probably yeah. exists somewhere. And like, you know, the introduction of electronic music into classical is a big yep. one. But I think so this this is something that I was telling this person is basically uh since the basically since Wagner and especially since like Stravinsky in like the thirties, um, most musical experimentation has happened um, outside of classical music and it's been happening in so many directions by so many people using so many different instruments and influences and things like that that there's no way like japanese noise music mm-hmm. to me isn't actually music but if we count that as music well i mean i was just uh, even thinking like when people started using like oscilloscopes as instruments before synthesizers were a thing yeah. you know like <laughs> like yeah. but i bring up japanese noise <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's wild uh, but I, I bring up Japanese noise music as sort of like an outer limit of what music can be because it's 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 not rhythmic, it's you know, atonal, it's not it's not meant to be like it's it's literally walls of sound. Mm-hmm. You know, we can call that music and if we call that music it's like where 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 does music go from there? Well, it's wherever who is inspired by it. I mean I think that's what all art you know, art existing for the purpose of making someone feel something. Um if yeah. someone hears Japanese noise music and feels something and then takes it in their own direction and maybe they bring it back toward what we classically consider music you know but it's got like very strong roots in that like i mean you just never know it's just it's waiting for the right person to be inspired and i I think we see that with like godspeed you black emperor for example who uses a lot of uh found noise and things like that to do essentially what our uh prog rock classical music pieces you know it's like they're like 20 minutes long i love it but um, love long pieces what i mean is like you know genres and mediums have outer limits and it's fine to reach those and it's fine to turn back and and we're not talking like it's not like a square where there's like four limits like you can like okay this is one (laughs) of them like there's three left right like it's not like it's not like that at all and so i think that a book can't outdo as a physical object what house of leaves did but i also don't think that it needs to no you know like like some people might say that oh you know there's nowhere else to go so why even bother with the medium it's like well there's a there's a million places to go it, but it's just yes i feel like it would also be exhausting like to that. only read books that are doing like house of leaves type stuff where it's yeah because it, i feel like you're satisfied but also exhausted by the end of house of leaves like it's like yeah. a good exhaustion but it's like 
to jump right back into that, you know, uh, uh it, yeah. it would be, Did you ever read Only Revolutions? Uh, oh my God, who wrote that? Uh, one second, one second. Uh, Danielski, Danielski, yeah, Danielski. Danielski. Yeah, it's, I yeah. got it up there on the shelf. No, I haven't read it yet. I, it's okay. sitting there, though. Yeah. It's a... It is an interesting thing to do. Um, I don't think it's... It's kind of taking parts of House of Leaves and parts of Joyce and cranking the dial up on those specific things. Yeah. But I would not say that it's like, you know, as different from what came before as House of Leaves is. Sure. Um, but, it, you know, it's still a very, uh, it's a really interesting book. Uh, borderline bad and borderline amazing. Yeah, I wanna, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm going to read it at some point. But I feel like it would be just, I'll use that as an example. Like, I don't feel like I would be compelled to jump into that right after we finish this. <laughs> like, because no. like, I, I, it's, yeah. it's, you need a palate cleanser for your brain. Like, yeah. Uh, just like anything, I feel like listening to difficult pieces of music, you know, very complex pieces of music, like sometimes you just got to listen to something straightforward that's three minutes long uh, to, to mix yeah. it up. It'd be like if every yeah. paragraph, well, I mean, this may not be a good example because like uh, Jane Smiley, when she wrote The Greenlanders, uh, doesn't really have paragraph breaks or chapter breaks or section breaks. Uh, it's just like, a, it's all just right. all tech. I'll have to show, I'll send you some pictures later. I mean, there might be like a couple section breaks, but it's just like, it just goes, right? Like, that's and funny. That, I've been meaning to read that book for uh, like the last it's, year. It's so. real good. I, I definitely recommend reading it. Excellent book, uh, especially if you like the Icelandic sagas very much in that vein. Uh, but yep. it's the challenge is sometimes uh, uh, stopping yourself. Uh, finding, there's no natural breaks. Like you just have to do it. You have to do the work uh, there too. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, man, I don't know. Like this book, I love this book. I'm really actually, you know, as as excited as I am to do Malazan, uh, like I'm real excited to uh, be doing this now. Like, like I'm yeah. like ready. I'm like ready to roll. I think it's it is such a unique thing, and and I do mean what I said. When it's like I think someone could do 50 hours on this because you could take all the different references, really drill down into them, explain them. You know, we we could make this sort of like the annotated House of Leaves if we really wanted yeah. to, but uh, I don't. Really want to do I don't that. want to really do that. Also, because I, want, I, I really want to do the Malazan one, right? I'm not. We're not going to half-ass yeah. it like the last season of Game of Thrones. Like we're not. We're not. <laughs> you know, Weiss and Benny Hoffing, uh, House of Leaves here, uh, because you know I, I love this material. And I, I like we talked about right before we started recording. Let's just take as long as it takes, as many episodes as it needs, yeah. as, or as few or whatever. Like we'll we'll do it. But I would say like what we're doing is reading it as readers, not as people studying house right. of leaves yeah we're 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 bringing a very i, I don't know what semi-academic bent to it but it's not we're not going full on uh like game study study buddies like those guys are real good yeah. they bring in lots of like a lot of research a lot of uh a lot of theory and um uh man shout out i don't know nothing about oh uh, well i'll tell you man like some of it's like actually really interesting <laughs> uh yeah. uh just books even on like intro literary theory is just like really interesting to to, to look at different ways of reading um, but I like to read a book just like how I naturally do it and then see yeah. what I see and then just talk about it with people. It's the same way I play games, you know? Uh, yeah, you, you, you could play a game like a reviewer, you could play a game like a developer, uh, but I would rather just play it as like, it's my hobby. And then, uh, let's talk about it with my buds. Like, you know? Yeah. Like, and so, you know, there's things that someone listening to this now may think that we, we missed and we did, yeah. you know, we missed stuff. But I do think that, uh, I don't think we missed anything core to the book. Right. So far. No, no. And I mean, <laughs> and if we do, you know, feel free to let us know. That's that's why we're doing this. But this is just, we're doing this for because we want, we just want to, we just want to talk about it. Yeah. We yeah. just, we just like it. And uh, that's going to be the same thing for, for all of our 
work, whether it's games or Malazan, uh, that gets its own thing. It's not just a book, it's an experience. Uh, just throwing that out there. Love me some Malazan. Uh, pretty evident by now. Um, and then House of Leaves, man. Like I, I can't wait till we get into stuff where we're, we're not even really sure how to talk about it. Uh, I want to see where those conversations go. Which is probably going to be next yeah, episode. At least, so, almost. If, if not next episode, the very following one. But I think next episode we have some things to... Yeah, so I think for next episode, we're going to try to do up to chapter 14. Yes, that's what, uh, that's, that's a good, I think, yeah, I think that's a good, a good spot. So it, uh, for you paging through your book at home, yes, that looks like 200 pages, but, uh, if you flip through those pages, you'll see that it's not really 200 pages, but there's, then again, there's also footnotes and, uh, appendices that might make it m- might fill that yeah, in again. We'll, we'll, so. <laughs> we'll just see where we are uh we got some good stuff coming up i'm gonna have to head in just a couple minutes one thing i yep. wanted to say is this was originally going to be our first episode of the year but as i'm sure you are guessing by looking at the order this is our second episode of 2024 <laughs> uh i this is uh man this has been a crazy week we had two snow days might have another snow day on friday with uh uh, wind ch- like the high is going to be below zero. Uh, that's going to suck. Cool. And then, you know, we got about six inches of snow, seven inches, but it was blowing. And then we we're supposed to get another, you know, six to whoever knows how many inches of snow over Thursday night. So we might have another snow day. Uh, so that kind of threw a wrench in recording this week. However, I did record, as you may know already, uh, an episode with my, uh, my best friend since third grade. We talk about being dads, uh, doing Dungeons and Dragons, uh, discovering it in our, you know, in our 30s, really sort of like wishing we had gotten into it sooner. But we also made uh, I made the point uh, in the episode how it's um, it's kind of cool that we have so much stuff that we can like there's limitless stuff that we can cover now. Like there, we don't have to like w- ever yeah. worry about running out of like modules or anything to do because like the world is our, our oyster at this point. And uh, did you guys make uh, make your own world or do anything homebrewy? No, uh, not too much. Uh, so Ryan found a couple uh, like uh, like royalty free homebrew stuff, like modules that he like kind of like glued together for our very first one. We we're just like learning the five E rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't want to do anything like too crazy. Uh, and then we did uh, we just jumped right into Curse of Strahd, which is actually a pretty famous module uh, with vampires and whatnot for our second module, uh, not using those characters moving forward and I'm doing the DM for the next module, which we are going to jump into the dark souls world. Uh, and Edward Ooh. said he would like to get in on that. So we're going to have some, some unkindled, uh, you know, ashen <laughs> ones, uh, you know, potentially yeah. becoming their, becoming Lords of Cinder or breaking the cycle. I don't know. It's going to depend on what they want to do. Uh, very heavily based on dark souls three going to be fun. Um, I've got a lot of good stuff. I got everyone to pick their classes so that I can start writing some backstory. Uh, I don't know if any of that's going to make it into the podcast. Probably not because it's going to be a lot of recording, but I will, we'll, we'll keep you posted on how it's going. Uh, I think that'd be fun to talk about. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, until then we got games coming up. Uh, I think our next game episode is limbo and inside. Yes. And so, uh, we'll be recording that. I don't know soon, uh, with Rick, get some, get Rick's picks happening on that uh <laughs> we we may should we, well i guess we'll we'll find out if we go straight through house of leaves or if uh limbo and inside happen between yes us. so uh, yeah we don't know and you will find yeah, out just real time. yeah just pay attention man like all you gotta do is just look at the feed what do you see next that's what we did 
All right. So anyway, until next time, Edward, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me at radicaledward.substack.com. And I'm at the uh, Twitter slash X uh, at Joe M. Owens. Uh, yeah, that's about all we got for this week. But uh, we're doing a lot of stuff. We're going to we're gonna keep you guys busy because we're staying busy. So uh, see you guys uh, on the next episode. <laughs>